confused by the message of Christ, and so we're trying to keep it simple. So we've chosen seven words that we believe explain the entire biblical narrative, seven words that kind of encapsulate the storyline of the scriptures. And so uh, you can't say a whole lot in seven words, but hopefully you're realizing you can actually say a whole lot without having to say a whole lot. So we're on the seventh word this morning. If you've missed any of the series, you can go back online and and watch those or listen to those on the podcast. Each word is, is pretty important as they build on one another. Or maybe you listened to the whole thing and you just loved it so much you want to hear it all again. You wouldn't upset me one bit. You can go in and check that out online as well. But I'm excited to, to wrap it up. Next week, we'll talk about a defender, God being our defender in light of Fabulous 13. And then in two weeks, we're going to start a new series called Remarkable. We're going to look through the storyline of the book of Mark and talk about how Jesus is the most remarkable person who has ever lived. We'll look at his miracles ending on Easter Sunday with his resurrection, the greatest miracle of all time. So excited for that. Uh, Be inviting folks to join us here in a couple weeks. Uh, Let me say a quick prayer for us, and then we will uh, dive into the series. God, I thank you for this morning and for every person in this room. Some have come with excitement and, and energy. Some are here kind of against their will, God. Some are really confused by the Christianity thing, and some are all in. And I'm just grateful that we get to come to a place where all are welcome, no matter where our faith journey has been up until this point or where we are in our relationship with you. There's a seat at the table. There's a place here. And so we just hope that this morning you would say something profound to each and every person. If it's through my words, so be it. If it's something else that is said or done, then so be it. But uh, move in this space now, God, and speak to each one of us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Excuse me. Well, today, as I mentioned, is a big day in the world of sports. It's the season finale for the 22-23 NFL football season, known as the Super Bowl. A quick show of hands. Who's rooting for the Eagles? Okay, excellent, excellent. Uh, For the rest of you, we'll have a special prayer time uh, later in the service, and we'll have grief counselors available tomorrow uh, on staff here. Uh, Go Eagles. Okay, anyway, sorry. Uh, But today, it's the culmination of the football season, it's also the culmination of our series, and that is the seventh word in the series, culmination. For most, the word culmination means conclusion, uh, which reminds me of the phrase, all good things must come to an end. Anybody heard that phrase before? I don't know about you, but I hate that phrase, and I hate when it plays itself out and turns out to be true, especially when it's a really, really good thing. I don't want it to ever come to an end. I think about that piece of Oreo Dream Extreme Cheesecake over at Cheesecake Factory. Anybody else ever experienced a little bit of heaven? I mean, I love Cheesecake Factory, and I love this piece of cheesecake in particular. And when I come to the last part, I'm like begging for it to manifest itself in like another piece. It's like, please don't leave me. But I need to send my kids to college so I can't afford a second piece, right? So it's just kind of how that works out there. I also think about that great vacation, right? The one you you played at the beach, you enjoyed some great golf, you, you drank some mixed beverages by lounging at the pool. Well, guess what? That comes to an end, doesn't it? All good things come to an end, and you abruptly were forced to deal with the end of your vacation. You went from waiting in the ocean for hours to slaving like a dog at the office for hours. It came to an end. Well, what's true for cheesecake and what's true for your great vacation is also true for life as a whole. It it comes to an end. But there's something deep inside of us that, that doesn't want this to be true. Something deep inside of us that cringes at the thought of this good thing, my good thing, my life, coming to an end. Think about the language that we use to describe death. We say that death, you know, cheated us or that it's not fair. It happened too soon. We say it's senseless or it's almost always tragic. Our language shows that that we don't like death. 
We think that it's not very fair, that that's not how it should be, right? Why is death so cruel? Why does it seem like it goes against every fiber of our being? Well, Ecclesiastes 3.11 tells us, it says this, God has made everything beautiful in its time. Kind of what we've been talking about in this series, right? We talked about how the beautiful canvas that was creation got wrecked through sin and the curse, but that God is going to make it beautiful again. He's going to renew it and redeem it, the scripture says. So it speaks to that here in Ecclesiastes, but then look at how the rest of the verse goes. God has also set eternity in the human heart. Think about that. One of the ingredients that God mixed up when he was putting you together was eternity. He literally placed that inside of you. So do you know why death breaks our heart? Because eternity has been placed deep within our heart. Inside of you, there's a longing for life, full and abundant life, but also more and unending life. We like life, and we want more of it. We don't want it to come to an end. And so whenever we experience death, we feel slighted or we feel snubbed. And this has been true for every civilization throughout all of human history. Every civilization, 99.8% of them, statistics show, believe in some form of afterlife. We want there to be more life. You could call it nirvana or the happy hunting ground or reincarnation, but we all want there to be life after life. And the person who clings to the biblical worldview, the person who wants to see things through Scripture's lens, definitely believes this to be true. Not only do we believe in an afterlife, but we believe that everything in this life is actually prepping us for and preparing us for and positioning us for eternal life. Life that will be experienced in a place called heaven. Listen now, 2 Corinthians 5 describes this. I'll kind of walk us through and try to make sense of some of the language as we go through. He says this, For we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed. I don't think he's talking about a very literal tent here. This is more of an analogy for life as a whole. Like it's kind of fragile, right? It's like a tent. It's not permanent. Our body is breaking all the time. More and more hair loss each and every day, right? It's just kind of this idea. The tent. The earthly tent we live in, if it's destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. Meanwhile, we groan, longing to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling, because when we are clothed, we will not be found naked. This is a reference back to the very beginning in Genesis 3, when Adam and Eve were found to be naked. So this kind of idea of naked, this idea of temporal, this idea of finite, is he's using all of this language together to say, like, life right now, it doesn't feel right. It's going to come to an end, and we don't like that. It's embarrassing, and it's, and it's awkward. For while we are in this tent, he says, verse 4, we groan, we're burdened. We don't want to be unclothed, but clothed with a heavenly dwelling, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. I love that phrase. Right now we groan because we wish that we could have our new body, which we will have where? In heaven. So this tent that we have right now will actually become an eternal dwelling place in heaven. This mortal body that I have right now will actually become an immortal body in heaven. All the things that we wish could be will be in the place called heaven. See, according to the Bible, all good things don't come to an end. Maybe my cheesecake does. All right, fine. But life doesn't. Life doesn't come to an end. Our life and our death will be swallowed up by more life. That's good news, is it not? Think about it. Let's, let's say my cheesecake never did come to an end. How excited would I be about that? 
Or if my vacation never came to an end. That's pretty exciting, right? Or what about on my never-ending vacation, I could have a never-ending supply of cheesecake? Anybody else want to sign up for that? Like, that sounds amazing. So for good things not to come to an end, we should be really stoked by this thought that after life, there's more life. It's called heaven. But I don't think that many of us are very excited about it, right? The saying goes, I think it's actually a country song, we all want to go to heaven, we just don't want to go right now. I heard a different country song the other day because truth be told, I'm starting to get into country music. This is super awkward for me, but Nick is influencing me in some evil ways. Evil. But there's one, I think a guy wakes up to the woman and he says, this is heaven, right? This is it. I don't want to go to heaven, or if there is a heaven, I think this is it. Mm, eh, wrong. There's a very real heaven. That might be a very good moment, but there's an even better moment that is to come. It's a moment called heaven. But, but how often do we think about it? How often does heaven cross your mind? How often do you think about not so much this life, but the life that's yet to come? If you're anything like me, not very often. Listen to Colossians 3. Since you've been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven, where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. For you died to this life, and your real life is now hidden with Christ in God. He's saying, don't, don't be consumed with the things on this earth but that's normally what my life is consumed with. I was thinking about, well, the dog food. I, we ran out the other day, and I had to fix this plumbing issue, and the car needed an oil change, and, and the staff things, blah, 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 blah. Earth, 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 earth. And he's saying, don't think about earth. Think about heaven. Set your sights on the reality of heaven. To have a biblical worldview means that we see everything on the earth in light of eternity. Eternity actually influences and changes the way that we do see things on the earth. I would argue that it was Christian, first century Christians' belief in more life that radically changed the way they lived this life. It's only when you live in light of the life that's yet to come that you will radically live differently in this life. So heaven is the culmination of everything that we read about in this storyline. Heaven is, is, is the end, but here's the beautiful thing about this. When we read culmination, we kind of do read the, that phrase, the end. Like, oh, we get to go to heaven, the end. No, 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 no. When it comes to biblical heaven, heaven is the start. It's the beginning, a new beginning, it says. So it's not like the end of a good song or the end of a piece of cheesecake or the end of the movie. It's like, oh, that was nice. Now I get heaven, the end. No, 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 no. It's like heaven is when the story starts getting good. That's what heaven really is. I hope that you get excited about that. I want you to think about it in this way. So last week, I was hoping to have these little guys for you. Uh, Shipping delay didn't happen. Sermon didn't work out as well as I'd hoped. Okay, these little mini canvases. So we've been talking about kind of this canvas idea, using this as the analogy for our sermon in the last couple of weeks. This was your calling, is to take this individual canvas now that you've been given, that's been cleansed by the blood of Jesus, to take this canvas and to go make something beautiful out of it. We use the term influencer, right? To go and influence this world for good, to be salt and light, to bring healing and hope and help to bring protection, preservation, to bring flavor and excitement. That's what we've been called to do. So we have these now. They, they came in yesterday. Awesome. So grab one of these on your way out. But I want you to think about this. Let's say you take this canvas and you make a beautiful life out of it, like you live for Jesus and you, and you make the world brighter and better. Heaven, for me, is this beautiful combination where all of these canvases get placed together. 
Can you imagine where every single person, right, millions and millions of these beautiful canvases get put up there together? That's heaven. When, like, all of the good is made complete. It's all put together. If you're not an artist, maybe that analogy doesn't work for you, but I hope that you're trying to see how this works. I just don't think that a lot of us are very excited about this place called heaven, though, because we have a few misunderstandings. There are three in particular, and Jesus addresses each of them in in John 14. Listen to the words of Jesus here. Do not let your hearts be troubled, he says. You believe in God, well, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go prepare a place for you, I'll come back and take you to be with me, that you will be where I am. So let's talk about these three misunderstandings that we have about heaven. The first misunderstanding is that heaven is not a real place. Most assume that heaven is just something we made up, some fantasy that finite creatures conjured up because we're scared of death. So there has to be a heaven so we can kind of make it through life. Well, here's a newsflash. Heaven isn't our idea. Heaven is God's idea. We didn't make heaven up. Jesus made it up. And I believe everything that he made up. The disciples are sad here in John 14 because Jesus is about to die. And so he keeps saying, like, I'm going to leave you. I'm going to leave you. And they're really upset by that for good reason. But he kind of says this here in John 14. Don't let your hearts be troubled. You're not losing me. I'm simply going to another place. I'm going somewhere else. So when I leave for work in the morning, my family doesn't start to like wail and moan saying, we're losing dad. No, you're not losing me. I'm just going to a different place, right? It's a place called the church. Well, Jesus is saying, you're not losing me like forever. That's what they had in mind, right? Death was a forever kind of loss. No, no, you're not losing me in death. I'm just going to another place for the time being, a place called heaven. I'm not sure why people think that heaven isn't real or that heaven, you know, you just float around as as a disembodied spirit all day long in heaven or you're up in the clouds or that you have to use a, a slow, low voice when talking about heaven. Right? It needs to be weird and awkward and nebulous and like overly spiritual. No, no, that's not that's not heaven. Why would Jesus call heaven a place if it wasn't a place? Why would he compare it to a house with rooms? A city with trees, a garden with a river, a party with laughter, a wedding feast with food. Why would he compare it to all of these places if heaven was not a place in and of itself? Jesus could have easily said this, don't let your heart be troubled. I am forfeiting my spirit into the wind and we'll eventually meet together and meld together in the great abyss that is space. Did he say that? No, I was like, hey, can't wait for you to see your room at the Father's house. It's a place, a very, very real place. What he said is actually true because it's an actual place. And so Christ's words and comparisons regarding heaven, they're not exaggerations, they're explanations. This is what that place will be like. A real place, real people, real things, real stuff to do. I read this one time and it really, really stuck with me. It said this, Stuck? I just said stuck. It was kind of like a combination of like stuck and stayed, and I think I said stuck. So when you really love a sermon, you just say, that really stuck with me, Thomas, okay? This is what stuck. Heaven is just as real as the smelly cold manger that Jesus was born in. Heaven is just as real as the painful, shameful cross that Jesus hung on. Heaven is just as real as the empty tomb Jesus walked out of. 
All of those things were real things. Well, the same is true for heaven. It's a real thing. It's a real place. The second misunderstanding we have about heaven is this, that we simply believe it will be a better place. Many of us right, lost a friend or a loved one over the years, and we've been comforted with the words, well, at least they are in a better place. A better place? Seriously? That, that's all you got? That's all you can say about it? Saying heaven is a better place is an insult to God. Saying heaven is a, is a better place is like calling the Grand Canyon neat. Well, that's neat. Calling heaven a better place is like calling the Mona Lisa decent. Calling heaven a better place is like calling the food at any cheap, all-you-can-eat Chinese buffet edible. It's like, yeah, I wouldn't use that word. Like, ah, right? And maybe the Chinese have the cheese buffet as well. I don't know. I'm just mixing up my words here today. Better? Better? Heaven is mind-blowing. It's not just better. This place that Jesus talks about, it isn't just better, it's the best. It's the way that life and love and everything are meant to be experienced and enjoyed. Heaven is where Jesus lives. Can you, can you imagine that for a second? So growing up in high school, there was this show that came on TV called Cribs, right? And Cribs was where you would get like a, a back seat, back seat, back seat, whatever. You could see people's houses, right? Famous people houses that you couldn't normally see. And it's like, yeah, over here is my sweet fountain with the pool. And over here is like the chocolate bar and the real bar. And over here is my 10-car garage and blah, 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 right? What does Jesus' crib look like? It's just, that's weird, right? It's like, hey, why do we call it cribs? Like, why are we defaulting back to baby terms? Like, here's my crib, beep, beep, whatever. But this thing about, this is a place where Jesus lives. What could that place be like? 1 Corinthians 2.9 tells us, well, stop thinking. This is what the scriptures mean when they say, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has even imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. Whatever you think about heaven, that's not even close. It's so much better than that. It's so much bigger than that. It's so much more grandiose than that. We're talking about a place where precious stones are used like bricks in the building. We're talking about a place where gold is used as asphalt. We're talking about a place where the music is sung by an angelic choir. We're talking about a place where creation is fully alive and no longer full of weeds or thorns or disasters. We're talking about a place where, where evil and pain and suffering and sadness are completely removed from the equation. We're talking about a place where we will be reunited with anyone and everyone that we lost before. We're talking about a place where Patriot fans don't exist. <laughs> Ken, I love you. I know you're watching. I apologize for that in advance. But just think about that. This place isn't just better. This place, this life that comes after this life, it's, it's the best. It's the best. Heaven isn't just a better place, it's the best place. If it were just slightly better, if it was like a small improvement, little upgrade from what we have right now, do you think Jesus would go to the cross? Just for a slight improvement, for just a little tiny upgrade? No, 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 he wouldn't go through the agony of the cross to just make it a tiny bit better. The intensity and the pain of the cross correlates 
to the wonder and pleasure of heaven. As ugly as the cross was, as ugly as this moment was, it is outmatched by how wonderful heaven must be. Jesus won't go through hell so you can get a little slight improvement on your living condition. He'll go through hell so you can go to heaven, the best place ever. All right, so the final misunderstanding we have about heaven is this, that everybody gets there. There's this great story of Albert Einstein who hopped on a train in New Jersey one afternoon, and as the, uh, the ticket guy came through each of the cabins, he was asking everybody for, for their tickets, and Einstein hurriedly was looking through his pockets and his bags, and he couldn't find his ticket anywhere. I mean, he was frantic, he was searching chaotically, and he couldn't find his ticket. And so the inspector reaches over and says, it's okay, it's okay, Mr. Einstein. I know who you are. To which Albert Einstein replied, I too know who I am. What I don't know is where I'm going. Okay, let's scratch that one from tonight's show. Good to know, good to know. You ask the average person where they think they're going after they die, what will they say? I'm going to go to heaven. I'm going to heaven. But if all roads lead to heaven, if everybody just ends up there, why would Jesus say this, Matthew 7, 21? Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Not everybody gets there. But only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Jesus couldn't be any more clear than this. Not everyone's allowed into the house. Not everybody gets in. But more than that, some folks are going to be shocked that they're not allowed in. That, that they aren't given the invitation, if you will. You're going to tell me, though, that there are other ways to get to heaven? You're going to tell me that multiple roads lead to heaven? You're going to tell me again that the cross, the cross wasn't necessary? Like, uh, you could get there this way through the cross, or you could actually get there just through good works. You could get this way through the cross, or just by living out the four spiritual laws. You can get this way through the cross, or you can get there by just, you know, loving people and doing more good than bad. Like, there, a bunch of roads lead there. Then why would Jesus go to the cross? Why would the Father let him leave heaven and go through hell if other roads led there? He would just say, take that road. Spare Jesus the trip, and you just take any of the 17, 18, 19, 20 other options that are available to you. There are no other roads. That's why Jesus had to do what he did. He had to make a way because there was no way. You don't go from this to heaven because you kind of figured it out, because you got enlightened, because you were reincarnated 10,000 different times. The only reason or the only way you escape this is because of Jesus Christ. And he opens up the door for you, not, not only life now, but life eternal, life forever. Not everybody goes to heaven, but everyone, everyone's invited. I just love that so much. John three sixteen. for God so loved the world that whoever, whoever, whoever you are, if you believe in him, you will not perish, but you will have eternal life. People say the claims of Christianity are are somewhat exclusive. Well, they're not reading the same Bible that I'm reading. That is the most inclusive verse in all of religion. Whoever believes. You, you believe, you're in. You, you believe, you're in. Whoever believes is invited in. Romans 10.9 says it this way. If you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. 
All right, let me try this joke on you. Calvin Coolidge, the 30th president of the United States. He was talking with a few senators one day, and the senators got into a really heated argument. One senator turned to the other, and he says, Well, you, you can just go to hell. And the other senator turned, looked at Mr. Coolidge, and said, Did you just hear that? He just told me I could go to hell. Mr. Coolidge, with his Bible in hand, looked at the man and said, Well, according to what I read in this book, you don't have to go if you don't want to. That's good right there. Come on. That's not a joke. That's truth. You don't got to go if you don't want to. You don't have to live forever in this condition if you don't want to. The whole world can go to heaven. In fact, that's God's desire for the whole world to go to heaven. But it's only those who trust in Jesus who will end up there. Your eternal destiny, what your life after this life will be like, hinges on what you say about Jesus, on what you do with that man. The culmination of your life is made complete in Christ. It culminates when you meet him face to face. It culminates when you get to see him and talk with him. It culminates when you hear the words spoken over you, well done, welcome home. It culminates, but it doesn't end there. It just begins there. Isn't that exciting? The story doesn't end there. It just starts to get really good right there. Okay, so there you have it. There's our seventh and final word in this series, culmination. Now, I believe with all my heart that, that everything in this life can truly be summarized and explained through one of these seven words, and especially all seven when put together. And, and that's the question I want us to wrestle with for a few minutes as we wrap things up this morning is, not only do you believe in these words, but do you believe that these words have the power to change people's lives? Do you believe that this is truly the storyline? The creator, the curse, the captivity, the covenant, the Christ, the calling, and then the culmination of it all. Do you believe that those seven words can change things? Because I do. Because they've changed things in my own life. And I've seen how they can change things in others' lives. So let's, let's walk through a couple of examples to see if you believe this to be true. I want you to introduce you to, uh, to Tim. Tim was born and raised here in Crucis. Uh, Tim's a good guy. He works out at White Sands. Uh, he loves his family. He really loves the Cowboys. I don't know why. Uh, and for the most part, for the most part, he loves his life. But as Tim is driving every morning towards his workplace, he can't help but think and ask himself, is, is there more than this? Is there more to life than this? Like making good money and having a nice yard? <laughs> Is there more than just being a good dad and having a good time every now and again? Is there more than this? See, Tim needs someone to share with him words like creator, calling. Tim needs to hear that he's been made on purpose for a purpose. Tim needs to hear that his, his life is not some accident. It's very purposed. It, it was made intentionally for, for very specific reasons. He needs to hear that he's not the byproduct of just some cosmic accident and everything else in life doesn't really matter. He needs to hear that God made him, God has plans for him, and God has a calling in his life. God wants to breathe life into Tim, and he wants to bring life to the rest of the world through Tim. That's what Tim needs to hear. It's so much bigger than a nice yard, so much bigger than having a nice job. I mean, you're part of the Creator's good purposes now. You've been called to take the canvases and to go make this world beautiful. Come on, Tim. Tim needs to hear these words because they'll change his life forever. Will you share those words with Tim? Like, will you be the one that, that shares these words with Tim? I want you to introduce you to Gina. 
Gina's, Gina's a cool gal. Um, but life hasn't worked out real well for, for Gina. She's been bouncing around from one job to another, from one guy to another, mainly because she, she just can't shake this drinking problem that she has had since college. That's kind of her vice. Uh, even after a few DUIs and, and a pretty ugly divorce, she just can't stay sober. Gina desperately needs to have someone share with her the words captivity, but also the word Christ. Someone needs to share those words with Gina. She needs someone to explain that, that the heart of the problem in her life is actually a problem deep in her heart. That, that's, that, that's the issue here. She needs to understand that by living a life separate and apart from her maker, she is now a slave to all of these fickle passions and desires that want to destroy her and drag her down, that nothing she does in this world will ever fix herself. She can't fix herself, but there is someone, there is a Savior who will rescue her, who will redeem her, who will pull her out of the muck and the mire. She needs to hear about the captivity she's in and the Christ who wants to save her from that captivity. Will you be that person? Will you share these words with Gina? I want to introduce you to Shikani. Shikani lives in Turkey, and just a few days ago, her fiancé was killed in a giant earthquake. Shikani's entire world was flipped upside down as the ground beneath them shook violently. And now she believes that her life is ruined in this moment of unthinkable tragedy. Shikani needs desperately for someone to share with her the words, covenant or culmination. How could those words change her life? She needs to know about, yes, the curse is very real, but there is a God who has promised to fix the curse, to reverse the curse. We sing the song, Joy to the World, and what's one of the lines? That glory will come as far as the curse is found. So that earthquakes will not be part of the new heavens and the new earth. Dying fiancés will not be a part of the new heavens and the new earth. There is a promise that God will make right all the things that have gone wrong. Who will share those words with Shikani? Who will do it? Who will go? See, I don't want these just to be seven words. Like, oh, that was kind of a fun sermon series. Yeah, check. These seven words have the power to change people if and when we share these words with people. So that's my hope and my heart as we, as we wrap this series up. Will you be that person? Will you reach out to Tim tomorrow? Will you talk with Gina across the, across the hall? Will you pray for Shikani? Will you do international ministry, missions maybe, in the hopes of sharing hope with her? What are we going to do with these seven words? I hope that we will change people's lives because that's, that's the point. That's what they'll do if and when we share. Let me pray that over us now. God, we are so grateful that you are such an incredible author. Nobody could have made this story up, God. You wrote this story from beginning to end, and it is, it's amazing. Every time we go back to this story, God, we see something new, and we learn something new, and so we're grateful. We're grateful that you made it all back at the beginning. We are still so sorry and so remorseful that we broke it all in and through the curse. Many of us know the feeling of being a slave and a captive to the curse and to our sin, and yet in the middle of that mess, you promised us yourself. You promised that you'd fix it and repair it and heal it forever, make it new. We're so grateful for Jesus that he is the way that you do that. We're honored that you would call us now to be like Jesus in this world, to bring hope and healing and help and love and light to everyone that we meet. 
And God, would we think more about the culmination of the story, where it's all going, that it doesn't just end one day abruptly, but that there is a new beginning, that there is a new life, more life yet to come after this life is over. Help us to set our sights on the things of heaven. The scripture says, eagerly await the arrival of Jesus. Help us to do just that. Because there will be a day when our canvas, the canvas, all of the canvases are exactly as they were meant to be. And that place will be better than we can even imagine. And so we long for the day that we will get to experience heaven with each other, with you, with every person who has ever professed the name of Jesus. Help us to be courageous now as we leave this place to share these words, to share the hope of heaven with everyone we meet, knowing that you will use these words to change people's eternity. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. We're gonna end our service with a couple of things. We're gonna take communion here for a few minutes. This is a moment for us to remember Jesus, to just celebrate Jesus to ask Jesus to come into us afresh and anew. Uh, we have a baptism, as Jackson mentioned before, so we're really excited about that. We're going to cut the live stream off here in just a minute, so you're not going to be able to see that, but, but we're grateful you were with us this morning. And we're just going to sing one or two more songs. Just ask the Lord and ask the Spirit to drive these words home, and we're going to see these words lived out in very tangible ways. But let's stand up and come to the table now as we celebrate and remember Jesus.